Welcome to Exhale, a podcast series where we explore topics on spirometry and respiratory care. Your hosts are Mark Russell, Marketing and Communications Manager, and Jansen Lanier, National Sales Manager and Respiratory Therapist for Vitalgraph US, a global leader in respiratory diagnostics. Mark and Jansen talk with Ann Mond Johnson, the CEO at the American Telemedicine Association. She is a digital innovator to make the healthcare experience better for consumers. They also talk about the upcoming live event at the ATA conference on May 1st through 3rd in Boston. Well, welcome, Ann. Thank you for coming to our podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, please give us a little background on yourself, education, experience, and your current responsibilities. I am the CEO of the American Telemedicine Association, or the ATA as we refer to it. And I've been with the organization since the beginning of 2018. I came to this position by way of a series of startups, all in healthcare, all using healthcare data. And the last three used healthcare data and digital mobile apps and decision support tools to help consumers navigate the healthcare system. And I point that out for a few reasons. One is because I really see telemedicine broadly defined as the consummate expression of consumerism in healthcare, which I think is really important. And then secondly, because my background is in startups, it gives me a real sense of passion and energy to support our members across the spectrum who are really creating this industry and expanding this industry. Telehealth is just incredibly vibrant and uh, explosive right now. My background also enabled me to focus on what it means to be a very client-driven organization. So the ATA as an association today represents over 400 organizations, including delivery systems, a number of payers, academic medical centers, and then a range of solution providers. These include folks who do the traditional synchronous video conferencing visits, others who do asynchronous telehealth, others who do remote monitoring, folks like yourselves at Vitalgraph that do respiratory work. And then we also have uh, a number of organizations that are really enablers of the system because they provide technology or infrastructure. So it's really a very broad and eclectic mix. And it's really very exciting to be leading the organization, particularly at this time. So what a year for telehealth and ATA. Tell us what it's like to be the CEO of ATA and during the COVID public health emergency. Has it been quite a ride since you've come on board since 2018? It has been absolutely exhilarating. I will say on some days it's even exhausting, but for the most part, it's exhilarating. And part of the way it plays out is that Our members have been so innovative and so collaborative. I like to say that the telehealth industry saved the healthcare system in the U.S. from imploding. And we've seen so many examples of that. And when you see organizations working that hard, it's really an opportunity for us to step up as well. So we've really had to scale our efforts, really support our members as they iterate on the dime, as they share and collaborate ideas, really putting a lot of information out there for our members and for the community at large. 
And then the other area that we've gotten quite active in that's been important is on the policy and the advocacy side. And so in the beginning of 2020, what we did was we launched a campaign just after the public health emergency was declared. And the campaign was to really, as we called it, cement the gains, to ensure that the gains that were made around telehealth were made permanent from a regulatory and legislative perspective. So if you think about it, the rules under which we've operated were put in place in 1997, which is 14 years before the iPhone was invented. Mm -hmm. And so that's quite a lapse. And so the pandemic really enabled this lapse or this chasm to be closed. It enabled uh, legislation and regulations to catch up with what technology can actually deliver for people. So these campaigns really focused on policy initiatives at the federal and the state level. Prior to the pandemic, we were lucky at the ATA that we had policy principles that we had put together under the leadership of our policy council, which represents our membership across the board. There are 10 individuals who are selected for this position. The policy principles are pretty clear. It's what we live and die by. We think that telehealth is health. We view ourselves as being modality, venue, and device agnostic or neutral. We think that telehealth should be a modality that's available to any clinician to use in their best clinical judgment. And at the same time, we don't think there should be different standards in place for evaluating telehealth. We think that's really, you know, as a, another modality available to the clinician, it should be evaluated by the same standards. So this is the kind of energy and activity that we've had. It's also been really humbling to support our members as they've worked so hard. I mean, think about the frontline workers and the experience that they've had. Think about organizations like yourselves who have really supported the frontline workers and really publish the best practices for our members get as many nuggets of information and insights out there as much as possible. So while nothing prepared me for this, I feel like it's been a great opportunity and hopefully by our members, we've done well, as well as the industry. And you have, and we really appreciate that. You know, we, we always try to be a resource here at Vitalograph to, to bring in people like you to have these discussions, to kind of open up their eyes to, to more than just what they're into. So this past few years, we saw a huge spike in the use of telemedicine during the height of the pandemic. And since there's kind of been some leveling off, some are saying that telemedicine was merely a pandemic solution and has little application in healthcare delivery. What does the ATA say about this and where does telehealth go from here? So I think it's a great question and I really appreciate you asking me that because what I always try to do is remind people that before the pandemic, we had serious challenges in the U.S. in terms of ensuring that all Americans get access to care where and when they need it. And we had a lot of challenges enabling clinicians to do more good for more people. So what I mean by that is huge wait times for primary care physicians, even in metropolitan markets. We had uneven delivery of high quality services across the country. Behavioral health was really a problem area where a significant portion of counties in the U.S. had absolutely no mental health services at all. So telemental health services, as you know, has been a real godsend. 
And so what we found during the pandemic was people tried it and they actually liked it. And that's both consumers as well as clinicians. Patients felt safe. They felt like they were able to get the care they needed, but they were able to stay home at the same time. So that's a pretty important mindset. And so we've really seen a huge uptake. We never expected telehealth to be used for everyone or for everything. And so what we're really driving at the ATA is this notion of hybrid. What does a hybrid system of care look like? And what are the use cases for which telehealth is well-suited? What populations, what instances? And to really drive that conversation, because I think that's really the important next step. We expected it to drop off from the peak that it was at the height of the pandemic when people were told not to go to the emergency room, not to leave their homes in most instances, and if you had a compromised immune, immune system or if you had some pre-existing condition, think about you know, the patients that your customers treat like COPD, people didn't wanna to go to the hospital if they could avoid it. So we think that what people found was that it was actually very reassuring to get care in a remote way. We have some members who actually would have their patients come in and they would give them the you know, little pulse oximeter to monitor their oxygen levels and send them home. And then if the levels started dropping, they would bring them back to the hospital and then they would take care of them there. They would often discharge them with an oxygen tank. So these are the kind of innovative approaches that we've seen. This is telehealth broadly defined, remote monitoring, the ability to monitor literally dozens and dozens of patients in a way that you can't do one-on-one -on -one or in person. So we think it's here to stay, we know it's here to stay, and our opportunity and our obligation is to make sure we rally the community at both the federal and the state level as it relates to policy and law so that we don't go off the telehealth cliff and then to really rally the community so that we're able to convey to the public what telehealth has done for their fellow citizens and how important it is to keep. Yeah, we agree 100%, especially when you, when you mentioned the COPD piece. I'm a big advocate of monitoring as well as helping to diagnose those undiagnosed COPD patients that are out there. I think there's 80% of the patients that are out there that have COPD are undiagnosed. That being said, it's one of those post-COVID patients as well. You know, mm -hmm. what are we doing to track these patients that were on ventilators for months at a time? How are we tracking them post-COVID? Are, mm -hmm. uh, are we waiting for them to deteriorate and come back? Are we just letting go be do whatever they need to do? Or do we monitor them to make sure they're, they're healing? You know, is it a 30 days, is it 60 days, is it a year? I don't know. I don't know that answer, but I know that we need to kind of be more proactive because there are patients that are long haulers. I'll be one of these examples that I had COVID in late January and 10 days, asymptomatic, nothing, tested positive for 10 days, didn't have a cough. Afterwards, I am now diagnosed with seasonal allergies. I have a cough mm. that's here with me the whole time and I never had allergies prior to. The good thing is my peak flow numbers, my FV1, my FVC numbers are just fine. I just have this chronic cough. So it's one of those where now what? What do I need to do now? So right. uh, I'm glad to see that we're, we're on the same page of the advocacy of getting these patients taken care of, especially the ones that are, are not willing to come in. They're afraid to come in. 
Right. Or they're in chronic pain and they it's just too hard or they have to take two buses and find somewhere to uh, have their kids taken care of while they go to the doctor's office. Exactly. These are some of the real inconveniences associated with face to face healthcare. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen, particularly now during the pandemic, is people tried it. It made a lot of sense to them. They were reassured that they got good care. And that's why we think it's going to stick. Absolutely. I agree. I see a lot of advertising on, on televisions. You brought up the fact that behavioral health, I've seen multiple commercials about telehealth for the behavioral health industry. Recently saw, which is very ingenious, a pediatric telehealth program that allows new mothers have problems during the night. You can get 24-hour care on telehealth. It's just amazing. Going to the next question, there's been some questions about privacy program integrity and cost of viral care and patient satisfaction with telehealth. Can you talk about these issues and what have you learned since March of 2020? Sure. Again, another great question because these were part of the myths associated with telehealth that I feel we've really disproven during the pandemic. The first, in terms of privacy, we came up very vocally early on that as easy as FaceTime is to use, it was not intended for private conversations and really encouraged our clients and members not to cut corners as it related to implementing telehealth programs. So we put together a quick start guide, which is available on our website. And then program integrity, this whole issue of fraud, waste, and abuse. There's been absolutely no indication that there is more fraud in telehealth than there is in person to person. And in fact, we submit that there's a lot of technology in place with organizations that are providing telehealth services to ensure that the fraud doesn't happen. And the OIG is coming out and not seeing these sort of heightened instances of fraud. The cost of virtual care, I think there's plenty of examples where the cost overall, if you look at the cost of care virtually versus no care, or the cost of care versus somebody deteriorating to the point where they really need a high cost intervention, it's really a no brainer. And then patient and clinician satisfaction with telehealth, it's really allowed for a greater sense of involvement on the part of patients. It's allowed for a greater sense of intimacy. And the technology using telehealth to reimagine how care is delivered is that it can be a very effective tool for triaging patients, redirecting them to the most important, most appropriate and less costly venues of care. So I think the thing that we've learned and we've educated the world on is telehealth is more than just a synchronous video visits. It is text, it's chat, it's asynchronous, it's remote monitoring. It includes elements of AI, which really enables for a lot of effective remote monitoring, for a lot of effective asynchronous interaction. So it's pretty broadly defined now. And again, what we've had is this opportunity during the pandemic to disprove some of the old myths associated with it. Thank you for that information. One of the things you touched on was this quick start guide. Mm -hmm. I, I promise you on a daily, even a weekly basis that I get questions about how do I start a telehealth program? Where do I need to look at? What, what resources do I need to find? If you don't mind, can you share with us the website? Sure, we are at americantelemed.org. Under resources, it should be there and happy to respond to questions that people might have if they can't find it. Sure. Do you guys have an open community forum? 
Currently, our community is focused on the members, and we have member-led special interest groups on different topics, and sure, so yeah. those communities interact, but you have to be a member in order to provide, and we have lots of ways that people join, or organizations, I should say, join. Sure. The reason I ask is because everybody wants to talk to somebody else that's doing it already, and they mm -hmm. want to know, you know, what have you done? How did you do this? How did you get financial backing to start things? So it's always fun for peer-to-peer -peer conversations to take place. So having that as a resource, but believe it or not, LinkedIn and Facebook have open pages that kind of talk about this yeah. stuff. We, yeah. we have a really active LinkedIn community, and I will say this gives me an opportunity, so thank you for that, to put in a plug for our annual meeting which is gonna be May 1st through 3rd in Boston. It's in person this year, the first time since 2019. So three years from the last one. And the excitement about people getting together just to problem solve and to compare notes and to say, how did you do this? And what did you do differently? Absolutely. It's palpable, the excitement is palpable and we're excited to be the venue for that. So encourage your folks to go to our website or go to gotelehealth.org, that's G-O-T-E-L-E-H-E-A-L-T-H.org, and you can register and find out more about the program. It's exciting because we believe that people walk away with something tangible. It's more than inspiring, it's tangible too. Absolutely. So I know the ATA has made some serious commitment to addressing health disparities. Can you tell us about your work in this area and how you believe telehealth can help eliminate inequalities? Absolutely. So the ATA, again, if you think back on the comment I made before that we had serious problems with healthcare prior to the pandemic, the pandemic really served as an accelerant. It was gasoline on the fire, if you will, in a couple of different ways. And as it relates to telehealth being used to eliminate disparities, think of access, think about connectivity, and these different elements, what we did was convene a group of 40 individuals, and it, it increases pretty regularly. It's under the chairmanship, co-chairmanship of Christy Henderson, who's a telehealth leader. She's with Optum and MedExpress. Yasmin Winkler, who is executive, who's been in managed care her entire career, uh, both at the Blues and United. And then Ron Wyatt, who's a physician who has worked extensively in patient safety and quality assurance, and also has written and studied a lot on the issue of systemic racism in healthcare. And under the leadership of these three amazing individuals, we've convened a group, and they are really taking a very unique point of view around how telehealth can be used to eliminate disparities. I view this as not only an opportunity that we have as the ATA, but also an obligation that we have to fix this. And so the first work product, if you will, that came out of it was a visual that really identifies the different levers that can be pulled to address disparities. And what was interesting about the conversation in the first uh, set of discussions that we had with this group was realizing that the notion of connectivity or broadband was the tip of the iceberg. It may not be the easiest to solve across the United States, but it's certainly the most obvious. And once you get past connectivity, you get into affordability. And what I mean by that uh, is affordability of the devices, affordability of the data plans, so that you can use your data plan to the extent you need to 
on an unmetered basis in some instances so that you can converse with your behavioral health therapist as an example. And then beyond affordability, you have issues of literacy. And that's digital literacy and health literacy. And the idea there is that it's not up to the patient to be literate. It's up to us to make it easy for them to be literate. And there are a host of other factors. Again, I would encourage your listeners to go to our website and check this out because this has been a really interesting and important work that we're doing. The next deliverable is going to be a heat map that looks at the linkage between connectivity and outcomes and and what we could be doing differently. And then there's other work down the road. So it's a group that continues to meet and we're very excited about it because we're at a unique point in time where disparities is getting a lot of attention. And our point of view is very much focused on how we're going to use technology and telehealth to reimagine care so that we can eliminate it. Great. Well, I know uh, Vitalograph has supported the ATA the last couple of years virtually mm-hmm. with you guys, and uh, we're real excited for this upcoming conference being live. Can you give us a, a couple of highlights of what people can expect at this year's 2022 conference? Well, first of all, as we talked about before, the excitement of getting together is enough to make any conference a raging success at this point. And what we're finding that adds a special degree of excitement and interest in the ATA's annual conference is that, number one, we're focused on what do we do now? The theme is now what? Creating opportunity in a time of uncertainty. And it's really looking at the greatest research, the latest and greatest, looking at the best and latest solutions in terms of how telehealth is provided, as well as practical insights. How did people do this? What did they do? And it's not just hearing from people at the most senior level of organizations, but it's also folks who've done this. So it's a real cross current or cross section of the membership and the organizations. The second is really this notion of what can we expect from policy and regulation. And then we also have a number of what we call deep dive sessions on Sunday morning, which are going to go into different topics such as behavioral health or technology. So those are very, very fun. We're talking about cybersecurity, remote monitoring, and so forth. And then we're pretty excited about it being in Boston because Boston is a great city, obviously. And it's really the epicenter for a lot of innovation that's happening in the U.S. right now as it relates to healthcare and technology with some of the best universities and medical centers, as well as a lot of great companies are headquartered there or have important satellites there. So we're very excited about it. Well, wonderful, Anne. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Uh, This is great information, and and, uh, we look forward to meeting you at the uh, conference coming up in first part of May. And again, thank you again for being on. Oh, my gosh. My pleasure entirely. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Exhale with Vitalograph. Your hosts are Mark Russell and Jansen Lanier. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you plan on attending the 2022 ATA in Boston, stop and see us in booth 901. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again on Exhale with Vitalograph.